Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Well, good morning. I'm so thankful to be here with y'all and to share with y'all this morning to start off the new, new year. And wow, worship was, was powerful. I don't know about y'all, I was, I was really deeply touched. And uh, w- there's something about worship that as we are worshiping, it, we're, we're getting caught up in the great story that we're a part of. And in getting caught up in it, we're being reminded in the depth of our soul. It, it pulls on that great narrative that we're a part of and that we get to see ourselves in that story. And it comes out in worship and praise and there's something deeply formative about the, that that does it uh, does um, something deep in us, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Uh, but I'm going to give you a brief little overview of what we're going to go for. Uh, it's New Year's. Typically, this is a day of resolutions. People making resolutions for how to live differently or what they want to change about their life. Uh, but that's not going to be the case for us, us as believers. Today is going to be a day of consecration. And I know consecration, that word can sound heavy, especially if you were part of a church that was what we'd call like a consecration, consecration culture, where you're continually invited over and over and again to lay down your life because it's good, and because it's good for you, and it does good things in you. And I'm hoping this morning that we have a fresh light of what consecration is, and that there's deep joy in responding to Jesus. Um, so I'm going to give us a some stories, some scripture, but then you're going to do some practices. So today is a day of examination and consecration. So sorry, you have a pop quiz today. Um, so I'm going to encourage everyone, if you're going to take notes, if you're not planning on taking notes, that you should. And if you are taking notes, I'm going to give you some things to do immediately. So I want you to make a reminder on your phone for sometime tonight, on New Year's Day, before you go to bed, to... Pause with the Lord and ask him to search you, to know you, to expose anything in you that is grievous or offensive to him, and from the legion, the way of everlasting. So you can try thinking about what's a good time for that, but I think there's the, the helpful, the most helpful thing that this sermon could give you isn't my teaching or anything, it's if the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in your heart and then you follow and obey it and practice it. So you're going to practice it twice. So think about a time tomorrow morning. Some of you don't have work. Some of you do. Uh, but tomorrow morning, where you'll do the exact same thing sometime in the morning. I would encourage for the parents before your kids get up, uh, which I, no one warned me that when you have kids, you just stop sleeping in. They, they didn't, no one, I didn't know in my imagination of kids that on Christmas Day, my one-year-olds would still wake up at between 5.30 and 6.30 tending towards 5.30. Kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't, I just don't sleep in anymore. Ever. Ever. Unless Grace and I alternate. We're, it's really kind. You're like, yes. Slept in at 7.30. It's amazing. I feel like I can run a mile, <laughs> you know. Um, all right, yeah, so tomorrow morning, you do it tonight and tomorrow morning. And you, can you just throw up Romans 12, 1 through 2? Because we're going to be reading the scripture and responding to it and making it practical. I'm going to give it to you now. We'll read it in a little bit, but I'm going to give it to you now again on the front end. Uh, This is the ESV with a little bit of Chris modifications. If that really irks you, we can talk about it later. Uh, I just changed the 
I'm, I changed the words from our and you to us because this also applies to me. I hope you're okay with that. Uh, Therefore, I appeal to us, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship or rational service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind, that by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." I mentioned how worship forms us. There's things that we do throughout the day, really every day, that form us. And that can be unconscious or conscious. And there is a system that the scriptures call the world that's trying to form you into a specific image. And I read an article recently on economics that was talking about the main resource that people are going after in what they're producing is your attention. Because they have your attention they eventually get your money, or they get someone's money. The more you watch YouTube, and the more ads scroll past your face, the more revenue people make. The more that you scroll through social media, the more that you pay attention to something, your, your attention is a great commodity in the world right now. Uh, it's like almost the age of attention. It's trying to grab, what are you looking at? And those unconscious things that we scroll through, like ESPN in the morning, just find out who won, because there's no way I was staying up to midnight. Those things can form you over time, into, into something. And are we aware of that? Are we aware of what is forming us? And do we have other rhythms that are forming us into the image of Jesus? And our main one is consecration. Or as Jesus put it in his core teachings, take up your cross daily and follow me. But if you were like me growing up, I grew up in a, went to private Christian school in a Southern Baptist church, and I heard that frequently, and I felt like it was dread I don't know if anyone else can relate to that, but I felt dread and an inability to do that. One, I was like, what does it mean to take up my cross? Like, what am I taking up? I, don't, I, I couldn't like, make that practical. And then the second thing was, I didn't know how to follow Jesus, and that just sounded like I need to leave everything fun to follow him. I don't know if any of you felt the same way, but that's how I felt until I really, truly met Jesus. And I think that's the first thing I want to talk about when it comes to consecration. Consecration is the result of seeing his worthiness and his beauty. It's not the beginning. We don't start off with consecration to see his beauty. We don't start with consecration to experience his joy. We don't start with consecration to experience his mercy. And it begins with him and him revealing himself to us. Before I dive into all that, I just wanted to pause and say to y'all, on behalf of Grace and I, Grace is not here, Aiden got sick, unfortunately, he's been sick for the past few days, um, we're really thankful for y'all. This year's been a, oh man, I'm getting emotional, this year's been a really full year, it's been the best year of our life, and there's also been really low points, the hardest points of our life. Um, we had a week where our babies got super sick, and it was just us, continually with them, they were up every two hours, couldn't sleep for like 10 days they were sick and we were trying to do the best we can just to keep everything together and it was really difficult uh, it was really tough but there's so many of you that helped us and that came over and that cleaned our house or gave us food and uh, during that time my grandfather passed away and I didn't have time to process so I was just he passed away heard about it and I'm like holding Aiden as he's has a stomach bug so you can imagine what was happening <laughs> and just cleaning diapers it was tough but I left that 
thinking how grateful I am for, for grace and for the Lord, but for, for y'all. And this past year, uh, becoming parents is difficult. It's probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. I haven't had to discipline them yet. Uh, I haven't had to really, you know, do anything other than feed and make sure they're alive. And it's difficult. <laughs> but y'all have been there for us, and it's been so encouraging and thankful. And I think about the friends that I have here. It's the most rich friendships I've ever had, and the most rich church community I've ever had. And I've just been so honored to be a part of it and so thankful. Um, so thank y'all. And if Grace were here, she would say thank you. And if Anne and Rose were here, they would probably say something too. Uh, so thank you. We love y'all. And it's an honor to do another year with y'all. And this year is a year that there will be highs and lows. It's a 100% guarantee. And we don't know what this year is going to bring, but we do know one thing, is that our God reigns, that he rules and reigns in heaven. And in Lamentations, um, in the NASB, it says, Indeed, the Lord's acts of mercy do not end. His compassions do not fail, and every morning they are, good, they are new. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who await him, to the person who seeks him. And our good news to consecration is that in the, in the morning, today, January 1st, 2023, as we begin a new year, the Lord's mercies for us are new. That before you woke up, that he was joyful and excited to pour out mercy upon you. That he was excited for you to experience his presence, that his gifts, his grace, his mercy, his love, he was excited to give that to you. We just celebrated Christmas, how our Father gave to us his Son. And we went through Advent, of, uh, went through hope and joy and love and peace. These things that we get to receive from him. So today we talk about consecration. It's a response of the, the, the gracious giver, of our wonderful Heavenly Father. And I was trying to think about a story that would go with that. And I was looking at as many stories as I could find of Trying to understand, trying to think about, all right, how do I find a story about the joy of surrender because you saw the worth of something and then you get to receive the gain of it after? And I was thinking of people of history, men and women who've laid down their lives to follow Jesus. And I was thinking about Old Testament stories and nothing was sticking. It's actually really frustrating. Uh, last night I was still waiting. I was like, I don't have, a, I don't, I feel like I don't have anything sticking. Called Steve and was talking to Steve a little bit and texted a few people. And then it just kind of hit me that the story, that the best story that we could be a part of in, for today is just a story of stories. It's how, there's the gospel. And then it hit me, and I was like, man, this is the story that we get to be a part of, and I, I want to share it afresh. That our gracious and giving God, out of the abundance of his love and mercy, created all things, and he created us in his image, and as St. Augustine put it, that we are restless until we find our rest in him. Our hearts are restless because you've made us for yourself, and that we were in this perfect union with him, and because of sin, that separated it. But then this gracious giver didn't stop. He could have stopped right there, but instead he provided a sacrifice, and he gave mercy, and then he gave a promise that out of a family would come one that would bring deliverance. 
And then as history progresses, a few thousand years, we see the earth is turned away from him. It said that every heart and intention of mankind was away from God, and it broke his heart, and he grieved greatly. But even then, that he had a plan and he had mercy, because he's a great giver. And he said, I'm, I'm going to start again. I found a man, and his name is Noah. And then through that family, he's going to start over again. And then again, as this restart happens, hearts turn away. And he says, no, but I, I found someone else. I'm going to start a family. I'm giving a promise that's going to bless all the nations. And he called Abraham out. And he promised a son. And then that son had a son. And then that son had many sons. And that became a nation, fulfilling that promise. And then when that promise looked like it was coming to fruition, they were stuck in slavery. And he raised up someone else to give mercy to his people and to lead him out into his land to give, him, to give them his good laws, that they would learn how to follow him and walk with him, that they would be a light for all the world to see what it looks like to be with God and walk with him. And again and again, they turned away and failed. And finally they said, I'm, I'm done with you. We want a king. And in his mercy, he gave him a king. Spoiler alert, the first king was bad. But the next king was a shepherd king. And this shepherd king was a, a king after God's heart a reflection of our future, the shepherd, and our king. And over and over again, after, after this king, the, the highest point of Israel happened, everything declined. And over and over again, people turned their backs on him. But our gracious God, in his great mercy, didn't give up and didn't grow weary. That still, every single his day, his mercies were new. He looked at a people that were turning away from him, that rejected him. He said, I have, I have mercy for you. I have, I have grace for you. I have joy. I have, I have so much for you. And then we, the gracious giver gives us his son. And one, of the, one scripture that blows my mind in the ESV, it's in Isaiah 53. It says, it was the will of God to crush him. And I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. If you ask, like, what's the will of God for my life? Like, well, the will of God for you was that on your behalf that he would crush Jesus. He was willing, because he saw your worth, to crush Jesus for you. And that story is a story over and over again of him seeing the worth of his creation and saying, I will go any and every limit. I will pay any cost to have them. I will do anything over and over and over again, though I bring judgment, I will again have mercy because I ultimately want you to know me and to be with me. Over and over again. And that's the story that we get caught up in. That our king who died 2,000 years ago and then rose again from the grave in opening up a way for us to have relationship with the Father, to receive mercy and to receive grace and to receive his joy that that opening, that, that, that way is here today. And every day, tomorrow, and every single day. And there might be days that are really tough. And there might be really low points this year. We don't know what this year brings. But we know that our God reigns. And we know that our God is so gracious, he continually wants to give over and over again. And that every day you wake up, his mercies will be new. And he wants you to experience his mercies. And he wants to reveal himself to you. He doesn't want you to try working your way up to a revelation of his glory and beauty. That he wants 
to show that to you and reveal it to you if you would posture yourself to receive. The way Jesus put it, summarizing that story, in really two simple stories, he says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure. And this treasure was hidden in a field, and a man stumbled upon it. And in his joy, sold everything to possess that field. His response in seeing the worth and the value was joy. It didn't matter the cost. It was the joy in possessing it. Or there was a merchant who was searching fine pearls, and upon finding a great pearl, sells everything to have it. Upon seeing the value and the worth, the response was joy in giving everything. The cost didn't matter. It was about obtaining what, what he saw as valuable. And in those parables, we get to see how our God is, that he finds the value, and he sells and gives everything he could just to possess it. And we also see ourselves, that in the response of when we see his glory and his beauty, that we would respond by giving everything, surrendering it all to him. But our focus isn't on the cost, it's on him. It's on the person. Or Hebrews puts it, that we look to the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to Jesus and that we run because we're looking to him and we see him. We're going to read real quick in one more Old Testament scripture, Zephaniah chapter 3. Anything that we do has to begin with, with God. Our reference point to doing anything with him is him. We, we're starting with him, and then we move with him. That, that makes sense. We have to start with his joy and his peace, his mercy, his grace, what he pours out for us. We start with his cross and his sacrifice, and then we respond. And I loved, I, uh, um, a friend from college recently, we were talking in a, in a group, and he grew up in the church, and he said just flippantly, the God of the Old Testament just randomly smites people. It's kind of unpredictable, but the God of the Old Testament is different than the New. And that's a pretty old heresy, about 2,000 years. And I remember when I first started following Jesus, I had that fear. I was like, all I've heard of God is that he, like, is judgment. That's the Old Testament. And then I made it my ambition. I was like, I have to find out who he truly is. What did the people who were experiencing what was going on, what did they say about him? And over and over again, I found more rich scriptures concerning his character in the Old Testament than the New. There's more books in the Old Testament, so that's helpful. And as I was reading, my heart started opening up to this God that the, the scriptures describe is so much greater than the story and narrative that I had somehow been formed into. I didn't know how. That wasn't what I was being taught at church. But somehow I had this narrative and idea that God was angry and almost flippant or just spontaneously would just combust and be like, smote. <laughs> but then I saw over and over again, the ones who experienced his judgment the most, which was the people of Israel, spoke of him the greatest, saying that he's a God of mercy who's ready to forgive, over and over again. And then I read this, and I was like, this is who our king is? I need to repent of how I viewed him. To sing O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your judgments. He's cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. 
you shall see this disaster no more. And in that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, let not your hands be weak, the Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one will save, and he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. My picture of God was not of a singing, dancing God. It was someone who was seated, ready to to give out judgment. He wasn't clearing it away and then jumping up and down and rejoicing with gladness of saying, I love you so much. It is with joy I get to see you every single day. My mercies are new, and I want you to receive them and experience them. And I didn't understand that until my kids, of seeing them when they wake up in the morning, crying at 5.30, I'm like, dang it, not again, no. And then with seeing them, even if they're crying, I'm like, I'm so excited. And they can't say anything, but I just get to rejoice in them. Like, I want you to know how much I love you. I didn't think I was that affectionate a person, but I can't stop, like, kissing them. And I can't stop holding them and hugging them. They just melt my heart. They're so fun. And I understand. I'm like, if that's our Heavenly Father, when He sees us, His first thought isn't, what do you need to consecrate to get my presence so then I can give you joy? He's, I want to give you my mercy and all my joy and grace. And out of, out of that, he knows we will give ourselves to him because we got to know the one who deeply loves us. Love will drive us and be the motivator and joy will carry us. That's the fruit and the beginning of consecration. It's not the, the end goal isn't consecration. The end goal is joy and mercy and peace with him. And we start off by receiving his joy and his peace and his mercy and love for us. All right, so now we're going to read Romans 12 in light of that. Romans 12, 1 through 2. So Paul says, therefore, the reason why that therefore is there, what's the therefore therefore? Remember that? English class? He's summarizing all of Romans 1 through 11 and says, this that I've been talking about, this is the mercy of God how he's sacrificed for you, how he's given to you, how he loves you and cares for you and pursues you, this is the good news in the gospel. So in light of this whole narrative, in light of our king in heaven worshiping and rejoicing and being so excited over us and loving us, in light of that, seeing that, therefore your response, in which I'm going to appeal to you, by his mercies, to present yourselves, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We respond to his mercies, and then from that place, we sacrifice. And it's so easy in a consecration church or consecration culture to flip it. Or to flip the, in order to receive something from him, I first need to consecrate myself to him. Or he's like, I've already given it because he's generous. Now to receive it, you might have to let some things go. But he's pouring it out. All you have to do is receive and be thankful. This is more of an invitation. And so that's what I was thinking about this morning. He gives us invitations every single day to come and be with him. And it's so crazy. He's our king, and he's also gentle and lowly. He gives us an invitation to come and take his yoke and to walk with him. But he's not harsh. Harshness isn't part of his character. He is just, and he's good. But he's gentle and lowly. He's not harsh. And there's an invitation. And there's an invitation for us today to examine our lives in light of his mercies, in light of his glory, in light of his goodness, and to say, you show me how to live. 
It's an invitation. It's not um, a weight or a burden. The good news is, he says that his commandments and his, his yoke is easy. His commandments are light and they're not, not burdensome. So that's the first part. <laughs> I appeal to you, but I'm referencing the story of God for and towards you. The story that you're a part of. And out of that story, you respond by presenting or yielding your bodies and our bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, one of my favorite uh, philosophers and theologians, uh, Dallas Willard, I remember reading one of his books on rhythms that he does, and every New Year's Day, he would go and be alone in his closet or his room and lay on the ground, and out of Romans 6, he'd say, I'm yielding my members to you, that they be instruments of righteousness for your good. And just go through one by one, every aspect of his being, say, I present it to you that you would use. Uh, I met with Craig, um, talk about the Greek in this, because I don't read Greek, and he does. He has a PhD, I do not. So it's really helpful. Uh, and the idea of presenting yourself is you're, you're not just presenting as if like laying there to nothing happen. You're presenting yourselves for God to use. It's yielding to be used, not yielding just to be down there and not doing anything. There's a purpose in it. It's for him to, to use. And when we are used by him, we will feel the, his joy and his, his peace. Um, we don't feel used up. We feel integrated into his life and his story. All right, so continuing on, Romans 12, 1 through 2. This is our spiritual worship or our rational service. The idea here is spiritual isn't this, hey, this is your internal service, and then, like, here's your external works and what you do. It, the idea is that this is your entire being. The, if, if someone's to ask you, what's the best way of following Jesus? It's this right here. It's in light, you have to receive his mercy and receiving as you're responding that you, your, your spiritual worship, your rational service, your, what is logical and makes the most sense is to yield yourself fully to him. And that includes your body, your heart, your mind, your phone, your relationships. That includes the entire of your being. Uh, the Hebrew word for soul is nephesh and what it means isn't just this like immaterial part of you, it means the entirety of who you are. So your nephesh, your soul, is all of you. Every aspect of your being. Heart, mind, your will, your emotions, your physical body. So in presenting yourselves completely to him, to be used by him. And he says, he kind of opens that up. What does that, what does that mean again? So what if we were going to take this presenting yourselves to God as a living sacrifice if we were going to expound that, what would we say? It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The contrast here is between the ways of the world and the will of God. And the will of God is really, really good and not something for us to be afraid about or feel like, I, I, I for a while also thought that the will of God was just some ethereal thing that I was never living up to, but he was never going to tell me. You know what I'm saying? Like, kind of like when you were, you felt like you got in trouble with your parents, and you're like, but I didn't really know what you were asking for, but you might have actually known, but you were like, I don't really know what he's asking for. I feel like I'm in trouble, but I don't know. That's how I felt. I felt, all right, God has this will that's like, here's the will for my life, and it's just up there, and I can't like get it, but I know I'm failing it, and then he's judging me for it. You know how silly that sounds? <laughs> but it's so easy to get caught up in a narrative where you got, I felt like I got stuck in that, where I was like, man, I feel like I'm, I literally was like multiple times like, oh, I'm just in sin. 
I don't know, what is it? I'm just in sin. And you're just not going to, I can't be effective in life because I'm far from God, you know. I, I was like that in college. <laughs> That's not who he is. His will is, his will is that you would be fully alive how he made you. That's it. And the things that are against his will that take you away from experiencing his fullness of life. That's it. And a lot of those things are the ways of the world. Not the world, not the earth. Creation's good. The earth is good. It's his. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth because it's good. It's the functions and systems of the world that take you away from the will of God. So the contrast is don't be conformed to the this world, but be transformed by having your mind renewed. The Greek word there is like to make new. It could also be translated renovated, if that is helpful for anyone. It's helpful for me. I didn't really know what to renew is, but we bought a house a few years ago, and I know it means to renovate, because we had some ugly, you know, Dwight Schrute yellow, you know, paint on the walls that was pretty nasty, and uh, his shirt in the office, if you've seen it. Uh, And we got to paint that, and then we found mold, and we got to take that out and then put in new sheetrock, which was a lot of fun. Learned how to mud and paint and all that stuff. It's, it, was, it was a good, good old time. And we renovated, and it's now permanently new. It's not going back to mold in my house, under my watch. But it is not becoming old. It is being made into something new. It's renovated. There are old ways of us thinking and practicing in our mind and our being that he wants to take out the old and replace with new that makes it better. There's no, the reason why fixer-upper shows are popular is because we see that and we're like, that's disgusting. That needs to be made new. And then they're like, hey, I know how to make that new. Boom, we made it new. And you're like, great. So God wants to go into your heart and mind and is like, why is this wall here? Open, open concept spacing. You know, we're just going to knock up that wall and we're going to you know, make this nice live edge on here, open shelving. That's what he wants to do in your being. And then you're going to look at that and say, wow, that's so much better than what I had before. That's what the will of God is and what it does in you and through you. It's the best thing that can happen to you. And then when he sees something that's taking, that is hindering that, it makes him mad. <laughs> His anger is good. He wants to remove that utterly so he can make you new completely. So our role is testing and then being able to have the ability to, to discern what his will is. So as he renovates us, we get to learn how to test and see what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Perfect, the Greek there is teleos. It's uh, we get the word telos or tele, teleo, like teleology. What's the purpose? What are we aiming for and moving? It's not flawlessness. Don't think of perfect as flawlessness. Think of it as full maturity or growing up to the fullness of who you're meant to be. Arriving at how God created you, arriving at your end goal. So he's the one that wants to make that the end goal. He's going to be doing that to you. Our response is by testing and having the ability to discern. So that's how we're going to practice. All right, if you're taking notes, you're going to, might need to take, take some pictures and notes, but we are going to practice testing and discerning and being examined by the Lord, and then you're going to do this tonight and tomorrow morning. I'm not going to follow up with that personally. I'm not going to go around, and I'm not going to ask you next week if you did that or not, um, but if you want to do that, if you want someone to follow up with you, you should ask your life group leaders or your spouse or friend. Hold you accountable to that. All right. We're going to read first Psalm 139 and go through that slowly, and then we're going to go through a little brief practice.
Okay, sounds good. Lord, you have searched me and known me. I will give thanks to you because I'm awesomely and wonderfully made. I thought that was a fun one. I'm awesomely made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. This, oh, sorry, sorry, I got you, Miles. Uh, when he says my soul knows it well in his works, he's talking about how he has been made. I give thanks to you because I have been awesomely and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. What you do is wonderful, and that includes me. And my soul knows your works really well. Condemnation says that you are unable to be changed. And shame says you need to change yourself, but you can't, and so you pull away from God. The way that we are transformed and changed is the one who makes us to renovate us and remake us. And it's his work that he's doing. So that's good news. You don't need to fix yourself. He's doing it for you. You get to be part of the process, though, which is a lot of fun. And then he says this other crazy statement. How precious are also are your thoughts for me, God? How vast is some, the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. Did you know the thoughts that God has for you right now in this moment are more than you can imagine or, or count or think? In 1 Corinthians 2, it says you get to receive his thoughts through the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into that. Go read it. It's really good. But he has these thoughts towards you, these multitude of thoughts that he wants to give to you. But he's thinking about you. Have you thought about what God thinks about you? If it tends to be negative, like mine has before, feeling like, oh, he's probably just frustrated and he's just waiting for the opportunity to tell me, your mind needs to be renovated because he loves you and he has mercy for you and he wants you to receive it. And his thoughts are all the ways he wants to pour out mercy upon you. And he's with you. And so Psalm 139 ends with, Search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Hurtful could be translated offensive or evil or wicked. Uh, there's many different ways of translating that Hebrew word. But if there's anything in, in us that is grievous or offensive to him, expose it and then you lead us. The focus is him exposing in us and then him leading us. So this is how we're going to practice. We have a, a graphic, I believe. You will not be able to do all this, but I want to encourage us, and we're going to go through one briefly, to present this to the Lord. You can take a picture, you can take notes. I broke down some kind of key aspects of your soul. If that's how you're going to define soul, is every, all parts of who you are. And broke it apart through some categories. This is not exhaustive, but I think these are things that can, we can hit on that could be idolatrous in our life where we put before him. And uh, idolatry is really disordered love. It's love that is put in the wrong order. It's aimed at the wrong direction. What, what we need isn't to fully cast everything away. If you are a glutton, you should continue eating food. It's good. <laughs> Don't just cast away all food. That's not the, that's not the uh, end result. The, the goal is to get comfort and enjoyment from God and experience his joy, and then also be able to enjoy food with him, and then have communion. So we have your heart, mind, body, resources, relationships. These are things that 
uh, kind of hit on. The heart, will, desires, your loves and affections, plans and ambitions, things that kind of occupy not just your mind, what you're thinking about, but occupy, occupy your almost unseen movements throughout the day. What is your heart dwelling upon? What are you, what are you truly longing after? And I think that there can be a fear of, what if I don't really long after Jesus? And the solution isn't to be like, dang it, I don't long after Jesus. All right, one second. One second, God. I'm going to long after you. All right, I'm going to make it happen. I'll make it happen. Like, I'm I'm just going to make longing happen. That's not it. He says, we love because he first loved us. If there is a place where you feel you don't have affection for God, you have affection for other things, what you need is to pause on those affections and not engage him with anything. Just receive his love and affection for you. Your mind, what are your thoughts or intention on? I'm thinking about I'm in the finals for my fantasy football league. Probably going to win, but I'm thinking about that. So that's kind of been in my mind a little bit too much probably this past weekend, unfortunately. Had Derrick Henry and DeAndre Hopkins. That's super unfortunate. Still feel like I'm going to win. But I might need to lay that down for a second and think about God. So what are your thoughts and your intentions on? An intention can be entertainment or hobbies. So I have a confession for you all. Uh, this past year, I read the most books I ever have in my entire life. It was, it was awesome. Like, one-third of the entire books I read or listened to happened this past year. And I felt convicted at the end of the year that in some ways I felt like I substituted information for intimacy. And I realized that it's easy to engage in that. It's not bad. I'm still going to read. I have a plan for this year. But I realized that there were places where they were starting to occupy my mind of intimacy with God, which is information about Him or about other things. And the good news is I want to read those things with him, not just about him. Or what are your worries and stresses, things that occupy your mind a lot? Scripture's very clear about our worries and stresses in life, about tomorrow or this year, if World War III happens or recession. All those things are, of course, options. But the good news is our God reigns today, his kingdom is here today, and he invites us to seek him first and to receive from him. We're a body our sexuality, or our health. We could be worried about our health, physical well-being, all that, or fulfillment in our sexuality. And he invites us to lay that down and to receive from him his identity. Biggest one, big things by resources as well. Finances or your possessions or your time. Your time is one of your greatest resources that you have. What's occupying it the most? These are, so you got it. So we're gonna do right now do you take notes on this? This is what you'll be re- reviewing tonight and tomorrow morning. And what I encourage you to do is read Psalm 139 and use these as guardrails. So it's not just open-ended, like where are guardrails I'm moving towards? And ask God if there's one, don't do it all because <laughs> you can't. This is a lifelong journey. What is one thing that he's highlighting that he's asking you to lay down and to receive from him how to walk? Just one. So we're going to practice that right now. Uh, and band, y'all can come up uh, and play in the background. So I think the three, oh, you put the back up there real quick. The th- kind of three categories I feel like would probably hit us the most would be what's grabbing our attention the most. If we were to look, if you were to accumulate your 168 hours that you spend in a week, what is the majority of your time on? Uh, any good advice if you want to give someone to 
for financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. Go to other people in this room. Uh, not me, though. But a great thing to do is to just see where your money's going. So you just count all your money. If you can count all your dollars and see where they're going, you can make wise financial stewardship right there by being faithful with the little. It's the same thing with time. Where are all your hours going? And is that rightly ordered, or is that indicating something else? So is there a thing about time that you need to submit to him? I'll just do two instead of three. The second is like your attention, your time and your attention. What are you giving your attention to, and where's your time going? So what we're going to do, we're going to take 60 seconds, a minute, two minutes, and we're just going to ask the Lord to examine us and to put his finger on anything that we might be giving ourselves, might giving too, attention, too much attention to or spending too much time on. And then we're going to ask him what to do with that time instead. And if you feel like he tells you something, tell a friend to hold you accountable to it. And you get to review it tonight and tomorrow morning. So I'm going to pray. And we're going to pause and reflect. Or examine. Yeah, thank you, Father, that you have searched us and known us that you've made us and you've made us in your image and you've made us for yourself. And we thank you that today you have mercies for us and that you have grace to empower us to change us. And we thank you for your invitation to be in your presence, to be examined by you. So Father, we ask that you would search us and would you know us? Would you try our hearts? Would you reveal any way in us that is offensive towards you and how we're giving our attention and our time. Holy Spirit, we ask for, for you to expose it in our hearts and our minds and then lead us into the way of everlasting. All right. Feel like you heard anything? Write it down. And I encourage you to reflect on it more tonight. My goal today was to make consecration and surrender practical. Not just, hey, surrender everything, but what would the steps be to go through that? Because yes, you're meant to surrender everything, but you're also meant to make that practical and live it out. You start off with thanksgiving and receive his mercy. Thanking him that he, he made you and he made you for himself. And that's the story that you're a part of. You will not be truly satisfied until you're found in him being thankful and receiving his mercy, asking him to examine your life. And he puts his finger on anything, respond and ask him what you should do differently and how to live. And then invite community in that process. Uh, we're going to have life group leaders and prayer team come up. If you need prayer for anything, if God puts something on your heart that you feel like you need to confess, come up and confess and receive prayer. Um, and the goal isn't that this be a resolution that you hold to. It's just a lifestyle that starts being integrated into your being that you get renovated and you look and think and live differently. Um, so we're also going to worship. If you need to do something differently, do you need to keep processing? Feel free to sit down and keep processing and writing out with the Lord. Um, but we'll start with everyone standing. And I'm, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that you are one who is abundant in mercy and compassion. 
we get to receive your mercies. We thank you for your new mercies today. We thank you that you pour out fresh mercy and grace upon us, that you are rich and that you are generous towards us. Thank you that you're the one that does not work in us, that you transform us, you renew us, you renovate us. And thank you that you lead us and thank you that you haven't left us alone, that you gave us your spirit, that we'd learn how to walk with you. Father, we ask that this would be a year that we seek you more wholeheartedly, that we'd be more free and more joyful than we ever have before. It would be a year of us receiving and walking in your joy and being sustained by your joy joy in knowing you, and that we'd see you for who you truly are. In Jesus' name.